Welcome back to The Short Game. This is the show where we talk about short video games. You know, the kind of itty-bitty video games. Little things. The kind of things that you can pick up and complete in an evening or a weekend on your smartphone, on your computer, on your gaming console, on your tablet, or on your Nintendo 3DS, as the game we're going to be talking about today is. <laughs> we'll be talking about Attack of the Friday Monsters from Level 5 and Millennium Kitchen. I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week, uh, as always, by two of my awesome co-hosts, Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing spectacular. And Nate Heininger. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing well. Glad to be here. Uh, defeat some kaiju, like I do. Well, I, I guess really you kind of just watch some kaiju get That's defeated. true. And well, there's the monster card game, and that's kind of like defeating kaiju. Yeah, that's true. Kaiju are involved. It's to fighting kaiju as Tamagotchis are two real pets. Exactly. <laughs> actually, that's giving it too much credit. This is a game that we actually talked a little bit about on the show just recently. Uh, I've been planning on doing this game for the show for a while, to the point where I'd already had it sitting on my 3DS for months and months, um, but it kind of filtered back up to the top of the list when recently I was chatting with Sam Barlow on our episode about her story. And uh, he mentioned this as one of his recommendations of short video games that he had loved. Uh, and I mean, that totally reminded me of why I'd been wanting to play this and uh, bumped it up to the top of the list. And here we are. Yeah, this is a game that um, I don't think is very much like any of the other games we've played. It's cute it's fun um i had a really good time playing it and it was not at all as what i was expecting from a game called attack of the friday monsters <laughs> <laughs> well the the title i think is you know one of those localization things where the american uh you know localizers really tried to find a a punchy title the japanese title is more literally translated as the monsters that appear on friday which <laughs> i think is a lot more placid and actually maybe fits a little better because they do just sort of appear that right there I... is like a definition of this entire game it's like well if you understood japanese it would it would make a lot more sense but <laughs> you know they were looking to punch it up a bit <laughs> i really don't think the game would make more sense i, I think it's it's funny that it's a very peaceful game about wandering around a small Japanese town, talking with your friends, collecting little shiny things from the side of the road, and eventually there are giant kaiju battles. Um, it's a very, you know, it's funny that I, I was thinking of terms to describe it. I was like, it's pretty low stakes. Yeah. It's not because no, it's dealing not. with like, <laughs> you know, the end of the world or, you know, and aliens and kaiju. Unless it's and all not real. There's a possibility that none of it is real, which is, I think, one of the most interesting aspects of the game is the uh, the imagination of a child. Or an entire town. Yeah, yeah that's, true. that's true. As with sort of everything that's kind of based in magical realism, it's it's all kind of very high stakes and yet everyone treats everything as completely normal all the time. Yes. Um, I run a magical theater festival in the summers and it's described as, you know, everything is completely normal until something is not. And then everyone in the play continues with this new reality. Um, hmm. It's not remarked upon. I think this is part of the game. I mean, um, one of the first things you get at the beginning, um, this little adventure game, you get a, a lovely little, tuneful intro of course like watching um, Kiki's Delivery Service or any Ghibli movie. Oh that's exactly what it reminded me of um, Kiki's Delivery Service 
I, I actually think that I only know like, Japanese childhood through the lens of Studio Ghibli and other sort of magical realist impressions of of childhood in Japan. Like, I, I pretty much don't know what actual Japan is like, only what their sort of idealized and sort of fancifulized animated version is like. I figured this game was pretty close. That's true. Have you guys have you guys seen Pacific Rim? <laughs> I, I, yes, have I have seen Pacific Rim. <laughs> that was my connection this entire game. Kaiju. <laughs> um, uh, so my boyfriend and I are 11 movies into our um, watching all the Studio Ghibli movies in order. Oh, in order. We're okay. it away. So we're actually getting to the popular movies. Um, but they have one called Only Yesterday that is about, you know, a young girl looking back on her childhood. Um, and I kept thinking, well, if that movie had monsters and fewer stories about eating pineapples, this might be the video game. <laughs> it is a really interesting uh, game in that it's it's sort of an adventure game. You know, you're walking around, you're interacting with other characters, but it's... Um, it's a game style, this sort of very placid, nostalgic, rooted in, you know, Japan's past and in, you know, childhood kind of style. That's actually something that we don't get here, I think probably because it's just so difficult to localize and so difficult to market to Americans. But it's actually um, it's actually connected with a previous series of games. Uh, it's sort of a sequel to a very popular series called Boku no Natsuyasume. And um, this is made by Kazayabi. He's the guy who made these very, very popular Boku no Natsuyasume games. The first one uh, came out on the PlayStation in like the early 2000s or maybe in like 1999. And um, uh, Boku no Natsuyasume is Japanese for basically um, my, my summer vacation uh, or Boku's summer vacation. The main character is named Boku, which is sort of a uh, it's sort of a pun. And there's other podcasts that have done a much better job of describing what Boku no Natsuyasume is all about. And I've never played any of the games, but there's something that I've always wanted to play, but they've never been localized. It focuses around this little boy, Boku, who's going on a summer vacation. He's, uh, you know, his parents are uh, busy with, you know, his mother is about to have a baby and they've shipped him off to be, uh, to, to hang out with his aunt and uncle in the countryside. And the game is this very sort of placid, quiet, uh, exploration of what it's like to be a child in Japan in the 1970s. And, uh, it's all very rooted in realism as well. There's no magic to speak of. There's no, you know, monsters, there's no, um, action. It's just, uh, an exploration of of you know walking around and talking to people and advancing the story and exploring. And if you were, if you're interested in it, there's some really cool stuff. I'll have some links in the show notes to. Uh, there's an entire episode. Uh, there's an entire issue of Scroll Magazine uh, that's entirely devoted to this, with a really lengthy uh, like interview with Kazayabi that's really interesting. And they touch on this game as well in that issue. So uh, if you're interested in the Boku no Natsuyasume games, which they're really cool looking. Um, Definitely check that stuff out. But unfortunately, none of them have ever been translated into English. The closest you can get is there's a really nice uh, fan translation of the third game that's done in the form of a sort of a translated Let's Play on YouTube. And I'll have a, a link to that in the show notes as well. Anyway, those games are really popular. They're about a young boy in a yellow t-shirt uh, sort of hanging out in 1970s Japan. Well, here we are, a game made by the same developer, Kazayabi, 
um, and his company uh, Millennium Kitchen uh, for a different publisher. Great name, by the way. <laughs> Millennium uh, Kitchen? Isn't it? Solid I know. Name. It's totally it's solid. Um, yeah. uh, featuring a little boy in a yellow t-shirt in the 1970s in Japan. Only now there's monsters. I mean, it's basically Boku no Natsu Yasume plus, like, uh, Power Rangers. <laughs> you know? Uh, it's the Sentai yeah. type monsters. Uh, kaiju and the, the sort of Ultraman t- style uh, Sentai type. Uh, well, stuff. kind of. At first, it's like, are there monsters? And then there are monsters. Um, <laughs> so, spoilers, I guess. It's pretty clear, even from the marketing. Like, there are screenshots with pictures of the monsters right there. Yeah, so. but, like, the first... So, this is this is getting a little bit deeper. But, like, the, one of the big things that I really enjoyed about this game is that it's an adventure game uh, where your main character is a child, but you, as an adult, kind of have the ability to discern some of the things that the, the child is looking at and know what they are more so than what the kid like a kid's imagination is really important uh, in this game i also love that the ability to interact and kind of learn more about the environment is restricted to what a child be interested in so you know there is a love story um very hidden with some secondary characters but for the kid it's just like oh dad and daughter are mad at each other he doesn't care who she's in love with whereas me as an adult was like oh there's no single young men in this town. Who is this girl in love with? Yeah, who's her boyfriend? We never mm. really find out because because uh, uh, is it Sota? Shota? Sota's Sota. the main character. Sota. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sota, Sota doesn't care, and uh, Sota all Sota cares about is making friends and playing uh, his sort of you know Pokemon style card game, which we'll talk about in a second. It was actually mm. like totally tangential to <laughs> yeah. the the game until it wasn't. Yeah, mm. but it's actually like it makes sense because it's the kind of thing that kids would be really into. It, it it's super important to him this little card game that he plays with yeah. his friends. Well, like uh, the big example for me is as far as like what a child would find important against like what me, the video game player, and like you know an adult or someone looking outside in would would care about is there's like that sign that is been kind of cut in half and laid across to act as a bridge. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and it's kind of becomes a central plot point, at least at one point. And it clearly is just like a sign that's been cut in half and used as a bridge. And the kids are like, Oh my God, this is, this is a beautiful discovery. It must be like a super important thing that has, you know, monumental meaning. But in reality, it's like someone just laid a sign across the creek and walked across on it. It, it doesn't really mean much at all. But the kids f- treat it as this, like, ultimately important object that has deep and vast meaning. Yeah, like there's a mystery in, in the text that you can barely read on the bridge. Yeah, it's not. It's a billboard. <laughs> yeah, th- that's a billboard. But there's also a weird guy named Frank who is saying very mysterious things about these odd humans. And the um, um, they call uh, quest episodes in here. Um, I guess to make it more like a TV show or it's a localization issue. I don't really I thought it was localization. One. That took me too long to figure out, by the way. <laughs> um, but there's an episode that's called That's Just Frank. And it's basically whenever you go talk to the magician looking guy and he says something about how odd humans are. You're just supposed to be like, hmm, what a weird adult. Yeah, yeah. It's like, he, but he's, it. he's no weirder to uh, to uh, Sota or Shota. I keep messing that up. Is it? Which one well, is it? It's S-O-H-T-A. And Sota. I don't, it's probably you know, Sota. yeah, I don't pretend to, you know, 
understand Japanese, but... Frank is no weirder to Sota than any other adult in this world, really, because he's a kid. He doesn't really understand what any of the adults are up to, particularly his mother and father, or, <laughs> you know... It, it's uh, It really got that childlike perspective, and it, it shows through in every way. It's funny, because it, it really took me back. I'm not, You know, obviously, I've never had the experience of being a child in the 1970s in Japan, but so much of this <laughs> obviously. took me back to, like, these things in my own childhood, like not to wax poetic about my own childhood, which I'm sure everyone will find fascinating, but like, you know, I, I had little spots in my neighborhood that we had given special names. Like there was Pigeon Point, which was, you know, the fancy name we had for underneath that bridge where a lot of pigeons live. Or there was the Dragon's Lair, which was a sewer culvert that we were sure a dragon lived in. And, you know, it's it, your world has this sort of magical quality when you're, you know, nine years old. Yeah, we had a uh, part in my neighborhood that a woman lived in that we all thought was a witch, which is like as stereotypical as you can get. But like, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're all like, she is an evil person who lives in this house. And I don't even think I ever saw her. It was just like, <laughs> it was like a story told to us that she came out and yelled at someone, yeah. which is probably a reasonable thing for an adult to do if there's like a bunch of people like... Like kids crawling around in your backyard, like yeah, probably she was coming out and like, hey kid, don't crawl into that sewer culvert. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, she was probably trying to stop you. So yeah, it was probably totally reasonable. And then all you know what that means is she's a witch, and we all knew it. Totally I mean, I witch. thought the hoarder next door's dog was a rat dog, the king of the rats. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, they probably were the king of the rats, though. I mean, that sounds that sounds more reasonable. My friends and I believed so much in the dragon, in Dragon's Lair, that um, once my dad took a bunch of us sort of on a walk through the neighborhood, and I had this little friend um, whose name escapes me at the moment, but he was a really intense little kid, and uh, he had one of those Ghostbusters proton packs, and nice. uh, I had told him the whole story about how there was a dragon that lived down inside of this sewer culvert, and you could hear it. And he was like, I'm not afraid of no dragon. And we got down to near near where the sewer culvert was. And he just ran full out into this pipe. It's a pipe that's maybe like three and a half feet tall. He ran totally upright, guns blazing in there. And my poor dad had to crawl on his like hands and knees into the sewer culvert to go get this child out of there. And at the time, I thought this was hysterical. And then I listened to the story now. And, you know, my the way my dad tells it, it's the most petrifying thing you can possibly imagine. <laughs> yeah. It's this child that's not yours in your care jumping into a pipe. Oh I, my God. It's, uh, and this, this, that's the kind of thing that this game really made me think back on was this, uh, this sort of period when everything is probably okay, even the giant monsters. It's not really something you can be all that scared of. And even the witches are fine. I mean, and yeah. Yeah, I was uh, continuously reminded of the seriousness of games um, mm. where a stupid game, um, you know, for me, it was always, you know, Foursquare. You'd invent all these extra rules because the, you know, the power dynamics in this game ruled your life. And, you know, in this um, game, you actually, you know, winning or losing makes someone be your servant and you can make them fall down by casting a spell on them. I mean, I pulled stupid stuff like that all the time. Um, you know, how good you were at Foursquare or Two-Square determined you know, who got to eat your dessert at lunch. You know, girls are terrible. Um, <laughs> but it, I, I think that that, um, yeah, the adults saying throwaway lines like, oh, dad, I, you know, I hope I haven't disappointed you. And dad's like, oh, did you read my letters? And the kid's like, oh, you're not mad at me? Great. And he runs off. But he takes very, very seriously how his kids, you know, 
how he's doing in um, monster cards. Yeah. That's all that matters. Yeah, and, and that that was probably my favorite thing about just sort of the uh, the childish uh, environment of the game. And even to the point where, you know, the spells that you cast on your friends, which basically means if I am your boss because I've beaten you at monster cards, I can say a magic spell to you, which involves saying something along the lines of um, guru guru, fua fua, koran koran, fall down, bobo bune. Bobo bo, bune. Nailed it. Nailed Thank it. you. Thank you. I wrote it down. My my <laughs> personal one. And and actually what's great about it is that it's a completely ridiculous and unrelated to the gameplay thing, but it's a player customizable thing. You can go into the settings and customize your magic spell that uh that your character says to the other characters when uh when he casts this spell on them to make them randomly fall down for no particular reason. And and that sort of little touch made it, you know, it kind of elevates that, that moment of being able to cast that spell on somebody from something that is completely irrelevant to the gameplay, completely irrelevant. There is no mechanical difference between one version of your spell and another, but you can customize it because it's so important to Sota. I mean, I also adored the nicknames of his friends. Oh yeah. Um, Ramen, whose dad owns the diner. <laughs> okay. I, I, no, He's good I, at math. Let's go back to ramen. Okay. Ramen. His name is ramen and his parents own like the noodle shop. Um, is that a joke that was made for English players or do you think his name is, was basically like noodle in, in Japanese as well? Well, I mean, dude, uh, Billboard owns the sign painting shop. That's so, true. Like, I assume... And A plus is the smart kid. Yeah, that's true. They're they're just all like right on the nose. Yeah, I have no idea if these are you know something inserted by the localization team, but I would be willing to bet if his name wasn't ramen, it was some other food related pun that just makes more sense in Japanese. I mean, this is a game where you know the the, the I mean you know the lead developer of this his other game was called Boku no Natsuyasume, and the main character's name was Boku, which is a childish Japanese word for I. I mean, it's you know and. Because of that, you're you know you're kind of projecting into. He's not above doing these punny names, is what I mean. Yeah. So uh, this I, game was full of puns. Oh yeah. Like as best as it could be, <laughs> full of and puns. And two fart jokes, <laughs> two of them that came minutes after another. <laughs> um, I won't spoil the fart jokes, but there's pranks and <laughs> fart jokes. So you know, and the dads are making puns, and it's great. Yeah, and the characters are all really great. Apart from having cute, punny names, they really feel like a cast of fun little friends, little childhood friends. So you've got, um, you know, the the lead character, so, uh, Shota, who's, you know, just a cute nine-year-old Japanese kid. He's adventurous, but that's pretty much his only he's character. He's new in trait. town. Yes, he's new in town. One of the two transfer students. Oh, oh yeah. And, uh, and he meets uh, his little friends... Um, uh, Akebi, uh, who is, you know, the the sort of, I think she's supposed to be like the third cutest girl. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas S-Chan, who we meet later, is the sixth cutest girl. And these are Reagan's rankings. Nope, these are Reagan's rankings. <laughs> no. not, uh, not decided in game. Definitely not. If you haven't played this game, Reagan's making that up. Oh, God. No, no, that's not true at all. I'm not into Japanese uh, uh, elementary school students. Thank you that's very okay. much. That's okay. Rankings don't matter. <laughs> Rankings don't matter to Soda either because he's much more into the six cutest girl. That's right. Um, so. And then his little friend, Ramen, who is, you know, a very cute but, you know, different style of, you know, he's more of a, a more um, 
uh, rash and uh, and adventuresome than uh, than Shota is. And there's a non, uh, Nanafushi. I thought Nanafushi was maybe the most interesting because he's the bad kid, but you know he comes around. And uh, and there's Billboard, the kid who's basically defined by the fact that his dad paints signs. It's kind of well, it. He's also, you know, apparently, um, according to the scene under the bridge, Billboard only gets good grade in it's an art class. Mm. So like father, like son. If you uh, if you go back to uh, this is perhaps a spoiler, but if you go back to the um, you know, once you complete the game, you can continue to walk around the town. And if you go back to the bridge that, you know, was so commented upon because it had some Japanese partially obscured Japanese text on it. Um, Boku, or excuse me, uh, uh, Billboard has repainted it with a sort of an abstract art masterpiece. And it's he's just sort of pretty. sitting by it, admiring it to himself. I thought it was adorable. And then you can walk on it. And then finally, there's uh, there's A+, who is, you know, the smart one. But uh, he's, uh, you know, cowardly, and he learns to be brave. Man, they they do not let you not know their individual character traits <laughs> it's like yeah. hey this is a plus he's weak and not very brave but boy is he smart like yeah well guys oh. they have two hours you know three at the most if you really milk it they do not have a lot of time to establish these characters so you know falling back on these stereotypes is a really efficient way to kind of set up who these characters are and give you an idea of you know how your character is supposed to relate to them i actually think it's really effective it's not the deepest characters ever but they do a really good job no it's of fine setting it's kids. Up a cast. yeah they're just kids they're just yeah. kids yeah and as we've said a little bit um or hinted at the game is basically walking around and talking to people. It's an adventure game without puzzles. Mm-hmm. Um, so it you really just want to talk to appealing people in the game, weird adults, uh, kids that are charming or, you know, adorable or nerdy or, you know, or a bad kid who's going to turn around. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really nice to spend time playing it i play this all in one go during a rainstorm and it was perfect perfect yeah yeah i played the majority of the game in one sitting as well and it's it is like there is no real gameplay mechanic other than the the monster cards thing i mean it literally shows you on the map like if you want to progress kind of like the main story where to go and who to talk to now there's everyone is kind of worth talking to and there's a lot of things you can talk about but if you just want to fly through it it walks you right through it. It is a game that is all about getting into the world and and understanding the story. Uh, like, the game is obviously very concerned with showing you its story. It wants you to play through the story and, and experience the story. But even more than that, this game is all about its setting and its atmosphere. I mean, the, the story is almost secondary to the atmosphere, which is really different from other adventure games that I've played. You know, some adventure games focus a lot on puzzles, some focus on story, but this one is all about just feeling that sort of summer afternoon feeling. This whole thing takes place on a single afternoon, a Friday afternoon in the summer, and it really wants you to just sort of luxuriate in that and feel it and walk around and look at the pretty, incredibly pretty scenery. Yeah, I uh, played this game with headphones, and mm-hmm. the sound design was great. Uh, there are some really, really nice kind of set pieces and art design in this game. Absolutely. It has a lovely soundtrack, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
it's just a very pretty game. Um, I'd say that the story, you know, we, we don't really need to comment on it very much because the story's pretty thin. You know, you're, you're really just exploring this single afternoon. Uh, the, you know, uh, Sota's got an errand to run. In the process of running that errand, he meets some new friends and he plays some cards with some friends. And then some earth-shattering realizations completely rip away the shroud of reality and, and, uh, and change his life forever. But it's not a big deal, and after that, he's totally back to normal. <laughs> yeah, it just mm-hmm. kind of <laughs> resolves. Uh, does this game kind of fall into the daddening? <laughs> I had that thought while playing it. Um, I mean, maybe, yeah. They are they are total jerks to his dad <laughs> until mm. the end, which, you know, we won't spoil, but... Come on. Yeah. G- give the guy a break. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's a dry cleaner. Give the guy a break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, it's uh it's it's a bit about his relationship with his father. Although actually, I'd say that, you know, story-wise, that's one of the weaknesses of the game. At the end there's some twists that make it much more about his family than the rest of the game seemed to be because really you just sort of say goodbye to your mom and walk out the door and your family is much less important to you than you know playing cards with your friends and that's i guess sensible but it does kind of i'd say if i had any criticism about the game i would say that the twists near the end um weren't set up enough to really be involving uh, and so i i kind of felt like the story towards the end of the game um, it just it, it just didn't quite work for me as well as the setting and the tone of the game had been. But I actually continued to enjoy just walking around even after all of the events of the game had concluded. See, uh, maybe I, you know, I'm going for a no prize, but to me, it seemed like it was perfectly reasonable to me that you are spending all this time inventing mysteries and inventing things that aren't there and, you know, adventuring with your friends and you don't realize that your parents have this whole life going on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to me that the parent stuff, you know, it was hinted at a few times, but the parents' importance seemingly came out of nowhere. It made a lot of sense to me. I mean, we spend a lot of time as kids, you know, being with our parents, but I think I didn't, you know, I wouldn't have been able to describe personality other than she's my mom until I was an adult. So to me, that just kind of put me more in that childlike mindset of your parents are doing their own thing all day. And maybe they are, you know, secretly very interesting people or not people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're we're getting really close to spoilers here, but um, I actually really liked it all being in the imagination of children more so than the ending. And that was where I, um, I kind of lost that just a little bit. But to be honest, my biggest, my only real frustration with this game, and it, it's minor, but so each scene or each uh, part of the map is like a frame, and you enter into the frame, and you can normally leave in two or three different directions, left, right, south, north, or whatever. <laughs> the only problem I had this game is that sometimes you'd be leaving, let's say you're leaving on the right side of the frame, and you're holding right. But the new oh, that frame, would be nuts. <laughs> the new frame, you would be at like the right side of it. And so when you're still holding right, which is just I feel kind of like a natural way that you'd hold an adventure kind of game. <laughs> mm-hmm. You are now on the right side and you're f- holding right, which pushes you back right <laughs> back into the yeah. 
into the map that you were just in. So I kind of had to like retrain my hands to every time I enter into a scene or into a frame, let go, <laughs> assess where I was and move from there. I think that's that's a really common problem with 3D adventure games. I had exactly the same problem with Grim Fandango. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's why, like, if you listen to interviews with uh, Tim Schafer, where he's talking about that game, um, you know, one of the things he says is, that, well, we went with this tank style controls, um, you know, even though they've been completely reviled since that point, no one says, oh, you remember how great the tank controls were where you had to hold left or right to rotate Manny like a tank in Grim Fandango. Um, and then in the remake, they got rid of that and switched to controls that are much more like this. Uh, but he said, you know, they, they, they picked that weird style of control specifically for that reason. So that if you were holding forward and Manny walked out of frame on one side of the screen and into frame into a different frame, uh, on the other side of the screen, you were still just holding one direction and Manny would keep walking a straight line. You didn't have to change your, your you know, your D-pad, uh, you know, configuration every time you moved from one screen to another. So it's a really hard problem to solve. And I, I, I hardly think we can blame uh, Attack of the Friday Monsters for it. But hey man, uh, I totally if, know what you mean. Yeah, it, it, like I kind of bring this up for two reasons. One, it was annoying, but I got over <laughs> yeah. it. But two, it's really my only, like, it's my only complaint about the game. Like it's... Like it's it's a game for sure, but it's more just like like visual interactive fiction, I guess, where you're you know, mm-hmm. there's a ton of environmental storytelling. It's fun to kind of get into the I don't know, the mind of a child and just play a game like that. Like this was a totally different experience for me and I and I really enjoyed it. It was light. Um, coming off of, we just played contrast, which was a super dark game. Yeah. Um, I, it was enjoyable. Yeah, I totally enjoyed it. And it's only $8 on the eShop, on the Nintendo 3DS eShop, or $7.99. It's actually kind of something really interesting about the game. In Japan, it was released as a part of a compilation. Level 5, the developers, or actually, I guess in this case, publishers who released it, released this as a part of their Guild series. They have this series of games that's really two two cartridges, I guess, two series, um, the Guild series, uh, where they have famous or interesting Japanese game developers work on a really small game, something that they probably couldn't do, uh, you know, in the traditional system as a full-fledged, full-budget game. And they package these together on a Nintendo 3DS cartridge, three or four of them at a time, and sort of sell them as a bundle. And this was a part of the second part of that. And a lot of those games really seem pretty interesting. And almost all of them now have been released as individual downloads here in, uh, in the U.S., uh, so this game is one. It's seven ninety nine on the eShop. And there's another one. I mean, there's several that you may, may have heard of if you've kind of looked around on the eShop. Crimson Shroud, Weapon Shop, Deomas, mm-hmm. uh, the Starship Dampri, and there's a couple of others. I've checked out a lot of these because I thought they might be interesting for our show, given that they're all really short. One in particular is really interesting to me, and I've been wanting to do it on this show for a long time, and hopefully we'll get an opportunity soon, and that's Crimson Shroud. It's uh, it's made by uh, Yasume Matsuno, Uh or Yasui Matsuno, excuse me. Uh, mm-hmm. He was the guy who created Final Fantasy Tactics and some of the Tactic Ogre, Tactics Ogre games and a bunch of other very tactics-oriented RPGs. Uh, and he created this really small, stripped-down RPG called Crimson Shroud that's based around this idea that you're, you know, it's a single RPG encounter. You're going into one dungeon. You fight a, a fairly small number of enemies. Your character never levels up. 
your character only ever levels up their gear in this dungeon. You're never actually changing your individual character's stats. So it really resembles like a single dungeon exploration in a Dungeons and Dragons type encounter. And to kind of highlight that, and to kind of show how much uh, uh, Yasune, Yasume Matsuno really likes uh, Dungeons and Dragons and other Western style RPG type stuff, the game plays with actual little miniatures instead of animated characters. All of the parts of the game are played out with little miniatures sitting on a table instead of character models. And even the combat is decided by dice that actually roll on the touchscreen. Like you actually roll the dice around with a little, you know, with your uh, 3DS um, stylus. So it's a really neat game that I've been hoping to do on this show and hopefully we'll get a chance to do it soon. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Does anybody have any closing thoughts about Attack of the Friday Monsters? I mean, a Tokyo story. This is the perfect season for this game. Yeah. Um, there are days that you might just want to sit on a porch with your DS and play this. Um, or in my case, um, sudden summer shower. You're just like, I don't feel like being outside. Let's pretend it's summer here. This game is just really light and airy and fun. Charming. Yeah, I think charming is a good word for it. There was a lot. I laughed a lot while playing this game, both at to the expense of the kind of localization, um, which I think is totally fine. Like it's okay to laugh at that. I think it's it's funny a lot. Um, but also just at the the characters. Like these are some really likable kids and and funny parents and funny situations. And it's not a it's not a, a comedy by any means, but like it. It's it's very light, and considering a lot of the games we play with deal with, or we play deal with, like, what it means to be alive and death and, and like, all these things, it was really nice to play a, a, a fun adventure game. I mean, dude, it's just delightful. Yeah, yeah. it's really fun and silly, and it's, it's just a perfect encapsulation of that feeling of being a child in the summer with nothing much to do apart from... You know, talking to your friends and playing Bombing silly mysteries. games. And yeah. yeah, it's so lovely. It's just lovely is is the word that I would use to. It's just it's sweet and lovely and really totally worth your time. It's going to take you about two hours to four hours to complete, depending on how much monster cards you play. And uh, like I said before, it's available on the 3DS eShop for $7.99. I, I, I wouldn't wait for a sale because you can just... You know, $7.99 is not that much money. Give this game a shot. You'll really enjoy it. When you feel like you want to play this game, it's the right time. Right. And it's a complete game, too. The sound design is great. Mm -hmm. The audio, uh, the soundtrack is great. The visuals are great. There's some really cinematic parts of this game that are really fun to just sit and experience. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's, like, um, the most complete game because you do have this feeling that it's something that, like, you know, it, this is from a, a game dev designer and a team that has made a number of games in this sort of style with the Boku no Natsuyasume games. And you do kind of feel that they were constrained a little bit by the size and budget limitations of this game, um, but not in a way that really takes away from it. You just, yep. it's just a, a small slice of a tiny part of a slice of life type of, of thing. Really perfect. Well, it, it kind of just like wraps up real quick. Yeah. You kind of feel like it's like, oh, this could go 
for several more hours and then like boom 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 it's done um although you know i found myself going back into it after i'd completed it and i think i spent probably the last 40 minutes or so of my time playing this game just after the story had concluded and just you know enjoying the setting again walking around and talking to everybody one last time Mm -hmm. playing little monster cards um so yeah I, i would say you know it's a it it feels complete once you have that experience i think I was all about collecting those glims. <laughs> Enter into a zone. Look for those glims. Yep. Got to get them glims. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, what else have you guys been up to this week? I hear, Nate, you've been building some boats. I've been working on this boat so oh, hard. Oh, Nate, is this your new FTL? <laughs> no, because there is an ending to this game. <laughs> there will never be another FTL other than... If they make another FTL. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Someday, right? Someday. No, I mean, like, on that note, the, the developers, and rightfully so, they deserve to work on other things, have pretty much said, like, FTL is complete and they are moving on, which is fine. Um, not for me, it's not fine, but I understand. I'm sorry, Nate. No matter how many fan letters I write and uh, phone calls I make, they won't make another one no matter how many petitions you start on the internet no matter how many tweets you quote yeah change.gov it really hasn't picked up <laughs> make obama make another ftl I know. come on obama <laughs> because um, good art has to be forced yes seriously uh that's what i feel at least but yeah i've been playing uh we've talked about this for like four episodes in a row but i'm like i am deep in some you must build a boat right now, mm. um, which I've been really enjoying. Other than that, I've actually been playing a lot of uh, real life board games lately, um, which has been fun. Um, let's see, I've played a lot of Pandemic, which is a fun co op game. I'm a fave. Yeah. Um, we play it on, I, I play it at two player a lot, um, where we play it on the hardest setting and we don't win very often, which is actually. While that's disappointing in that individual game, I, I do appreciate that, that it it's like actually more uncommon that we do win. Uh, I played a little Dominion the other day, as well as mm. both the Star Wars and Star Trek version of the like attack wing game, I think is what it's called, mm. which is I'm not familiar basically, with that. It's a, it's a miniatures attack game, um, which I've never at all in my life cared about miniatures. But I like good games, and it's kind of interesting. Like, basically, you have uh, everybody has a, a ship, and it's all characterized to Star Wars or Star Trek. Like, in one of them I played, I had a X Wing, and the person I was playing had two TIE fighters. And you start on opposite ends of a table, and you, in secret, make your moves, um, you know, like four spaces forward or three spaces to a soft bank to the right. And then you present them at the same time. There's little guides to help you move your ships. Hmm. And if they're within firing range of each other, there's dice and there's like a whole attack and defense thing. But it's my, it's the only time I've ever really played like a miniatures game where it actually mattered. Like what direction your little spaceship is pointing and Hmm. what, you know, the space that you're playing in. It was pretty fun. That actually sounds kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was quick. I mean, I think we played, I played another one, a four player game with Star Trek and it was like, 45 minutes and we had a really funny thing where uh like you can put obstacles and there's like a we set this big planet basically in the middle and we had mm-hmm. all four ships basically going in a, a like it had lined up where we were perfectly in a circle around the 
planet, each person having a shot on the person in front of them. Oh, perfect. Uh, which was pretty silly. Like, I don't think we could do that again if we even, like, tried to line it up that way. Uh, so it's been fun. Uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of board games and uh, kind of getting into that. So I have not gotten to play a lot of those lately, and I kind of miss it. I should, uh, I should find a, a meetup group for them out here, but I just haven't gotten around to it since moving out here. Laura, what have you been up to this week? Um, I am playing a lot of a game called The Executive, which came out for... I'm, I'm playing it on iOS. It's probably out on other things. Um, but it is a weird combo of a platformer beat-em-up and an idle clicker game. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> what? Wait, so wait beat-em-up, idle clicker? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you... Um, you play as an executive or an intern at a company, and you're drinking coffee, and then a bunch of um, fellow employees turn into werewolves. Naturally. And then you start beating them up and then you know, or doing stunts. You play with a single finger. You swipe you know, directionally. Um, there's lots of tapping and to sh- defend, moving back and forth, doing special you know, swipe motions. I felt a little like I was playing Lego Harry Potter, where I'm casting mm. spells all the time. Um really funny like some of the characters um there's a ton of werewolf versions of things like werebores which look like personal trainers with like abs but they also have spikes <laughs> on their fists um i like the werefrog fencer Ooh. which is a frog with a shield who's with a rapier who's stabbing you they all have different move patterns you can memorize um really fast paced really funny um very violent um all kinds of different backgrounds from a church to a subway station. Like you never know where the next level is going to be. Um, and the idle clicker part is um, you can buy employees for your company that will either mine while you're not playing the game or um, give you bonuses when you attack, defend, you know, different ways you play the game. So it's like a half company management, half platform or beat em up. Um, That's really strange. The, it's so absurd. Like you yeah. get to the, you know, a boss might be a gelatinous cube or it might be like a, you know, a wear Jaguar lady who might have been your personal trainer in another life. Or, you know, it, um, you know, there are, you know, floating ghost heads and, you know, things that uh, spit at you. <laughs> but you're still <laughs> yeah. in like I- a suit and tie punching people. Perfect. It's really great. It's so fun. I love that. Like, that's where games are going right now is like genres as a singularity are played out. So we like have to dive into these absurd complex, like multi genres. Like you must build a boat. It's a match three roguelike dungeon crawler RPG. (laughs) Uh, What you just said, you know, um, the Crypt of the Necrodancer is a rhythm game roguelike, you know. Oh, I love that game. I haven't played it in so long. I just found out that's coming out on the PlayStation 4 and Vita soon. So yeah. if you missed Crypt of yeah. the Necrodancer, uh, I cannot recommend it enough. It is super fun. And uh, it's uh, it's coming out for PlayStation platforms pretty soon. Just the soundtrack. Awesome. Like I yeah. didn't play that game a whole lot, but I still listen to the soundtrack. Uh, Molly does as well all the time. And they just went, like, they just went out of... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, beta, basically. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's yeah, it's, the, it's out of uh, out of Steam now. early access now. There we go, Steam early access, and like they re-release the full soundtrack, and it's it's more, it's deeper. It sounds great. Oh, I um, got to take an opportunity. I, like, to I get still have a shot soon. Yeah, it's worth it. I had a weird but really awesome weekend too. Um, on on Saturday, 
I uh, I went to California Extreme. I talked about this last year. It's just it it happens to be really close to where I'm living now. Um, but California Extreme is a is a, a two day uh, yearly convention for arcade video game enthusiasts mostly. Um, and so they take over a you know a hotel in uh, uh, in uh, Santa Clara, I think, and uh, they you know tons of people who collect old arcade machines bring their arcade machines to this place and set up what is basically the best arcade in the world um and all the machines are on free play and so you pay like your 40 bucks or whatever and you go in and you can play every arcade machine that you can possibly imagine from the earliest most ancient bizarre things to pretty recent interesting stuff like Killer Queen, which was there again this year, and I got a chance to play a whole bunch of it. And actually, this year, I also went to some panels. Last year, I pretty much just showed up, played games, and left. But this year, I went to some of the events, and I really, really enjoyed that this year. I saw a panel from the two guys who made Killer Queen, and they talked about their design process for it. Super interesting stuff. Um, and they talked sort of about how they're, you know, how they think the, the landscape for arcade machines is changing, and how they think that... Uh, they can kind of uh, play on this sort of games spectating thing that's kind of come about with Twitch and kind of bring that into barcades and, you know, and real places where, you know, video games will become something more of a, more of a thing that people would gather around to watch. Um, and they're hoping to, to kind of spearhead that with Killer Queen and introducing it into as many of these barcade type places that, uh, which are really the new arcades, like they're the only growth area for arcades in the country. But the best thing was a really great class that was just sort of in the hallway where this couple of guys who were both pinball champions, like world champions at one point or another, um, gave a class on how to play pinball. And, you know, just sort of everybody crowded around a machine and they took the glass off the top of the machine and showed you how everything worked inside and then showed you, you know, cool moves that you could do and gave you pinball tips uh, all the while kind of just manipulating the ball, throwing it around inside the machine to show you how it might come at you in different directions, that kind of thing. They were doing things that I've only, I've, I've maybe seen in some YouTube videos, but never in real life. You know, he pulled off this amazing, um, I forget the name they have for all of these types of uh, moves, but there's a sort of a, a ball stop thing where something that they, they explained that I'd never heard of before was that um, the way that pinball flippers are built they have a kind of a two-stage actuator where they're very high power through about 90% of their swing, and then they go into a very low power state for that last 10% because, you know, they don't want you, if you just sit there holding down the uh, the flipper button and the flipper is up, they don't want it delivering full power to that flipper or it'll burn out. So that last 10% is really low power and really low uh, low force. And so if you time it just perfectly when a ball is coming down at the flipper and you get it you hit it in that last 10% of the of the flipper's swing, then it just stops. It looks magical. The ball doesn't deflect off of the flipper. It catches it like a glove. And he was doing this really reliably, and it was the most incredible thing you've ever seen. It looks completely magical when you see it done. It's like there's a magnet inside the flipper. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of going off the rails here, but California Extreme was a lot of fun, and um, if you're in the you know in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, I would definitely recommend going. And if not, you know, find your local barcade. That's a really a scene that's uh, that's growing right now, and uh, not just with these retro games. Yeah, um, I think there's two things in there that like really hit me is that like I went to Comic Con in St. Louis uh, last mm-hmm. year, and 
we went there and we we just did the kind of like walk around and and look at the the booths and the artwork and we bought some stuff and and kind of you know looked at the people wearing costumes and then at the very end we went to two panels and they were probably the best part of the whole thing it was the most fun most engaging the one that sticks out to me was the we saw like Tommy the Green Ranger from Power Ranger. <laughs> uh, who, if, if, if you don't I also know, have seen Tommy the Green Ranger at yeah. Chicago Comic Con. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's he's, he's insane. awesome. Um, he's a total. He, his problem is that he talks for like three minutes too long every time a question is asked. <laughs> you ask him something, yeah. and the first like thirty seconds, like, something like, like hey, "Is it fun to be a Power Ranger?" And who will answer for ten minutes? <laughs> yeah, in the you know what the How? first minute, the first minute is fine. It's actually yeah, that's a reasonable answer. And then he just keeps going, and by the end of it, you're like, you're a crazy person. <laughs> um, but you know, I just uh, talking about barcades. Like uh, one opened up in St. Louis just recently. Um, it's got a silly name. It's called Uncle Monkey's Coin Club. But it, it it's like an even more. It's like the next evolution of the barcade trend where it's like all um, small local brewery beer, like handcrafted meals, uh, like grass fed beef burgers, like all really, really nice food. And also 18 pinball games and like 40 arcade games. They do the whole thing where like if you have an old school arcade game, if you come in and take care of it, they'll let you keep it there and you get the all the quarters or whatever that were put into it. Oh, that's a clever idea. Um, so they have a couple, when you go on their website, they have a couple people where it's like the private collection of this person, you know, but it's in the barcade and you can go and play it. Um, I haven't been there yet, but I'm pretty excited about it. Going to go and check it out. Laura and I went to a really great place like that up in Chicago. What was the place called again, Laura? Uh, we went to Headquarters Beercade. Yeah, um, that was a nice they place. They have two locations. Uh, there's also Emporium, um, P-O-U-R. Hmm. Um, and there are a couple that are not um, beercades like you're talking about, but there are a couple gaming lounges here, too, where you can go and play, you know, five-person completely decked-out gaming setup. So you can hmm. play Call of Duty with your friends. Um, you can, you know, there's like a whole rock band studio, you know, that's like a karaoke club on steroids. Um, so there's two or three of those. Um, we also have uh, Geek Bar Chicago, uh, which has a bunch of board games, and you can rent console games with your friends in the bar. Awesome. So there's lots of different gaming bars in Chicago, but all really worth going to, actually. I've never had a bad experience in one. Yeah, I went to a place called Ground Control in Portland that was like two hmm. stories. Um, Ground Control has a uh, Killer Queen League. Uh, there. Oh yeah. And actually, Laura, they have a they have a killer queen league up in Chicago too. I'm not sure where it's located, but um, you should uh, you should join up. It's like better than bowling. Okay. <laughs> Strong endorsement there. I will I will pay more money up front for a game to be set on free play than I will put quarters into it. Yeah. There's something satisfying about going up to a game and just saying, "Sure, this looks fun." beep it's starting than like actually putting the quarter into it so like at ground control i think we paid it wasn't crazy i think it was like maybe 15 dollars for like entry um that evening and we got to stay for several hours 
and it was like every game was just set on free play. And I, I don't know if I would have spent fifteen dollars just on quarters on the games, um, but it was really nice to just go up and play a ton of different stuff. One other thing that I'm pretty excited about that I've started playing recently is a game called The Magic Circle, which I believe was recommended by Laura yep. in a previous episode. Um, and because of that, we are doing it for our next episode. Oh, and I just started it, and it's so cool. It's so interesting. Yeah, it's like the Stanley Parable, which is one of my favorite games that I've ever played and one of my favorite games that we've done. Um, a little weirder. Um, a little bit more work put into the art design. Um, it's and- got the uh, the guy from the Venture Brothers doing a lot of the voiceover, which is amazing because he's hysterical. It's weird and intentionally glitchy and um, all about exploiting a game and, you know, kind of setting yourself against the designers. And it's wonderful uh, so far. I'm an hour in. It's a game that I actually, I saw it on Steam and completely scrolled past it because I don't think it's a game that presents itself very well in, you know, in a quick description. You know, it it describes it as a game where you are struggling inside of a broken, unshippable game to, you know, ship the game from the inside, which doesn't make a lot of sense. It sounds like, oh, hey, I'm going to play an early access thing that's broken. Great. (laughs) Um, But it's actually this really interesting commentary. It's a really polished experience. It's really interesting commentary on... Uh, the games industry, uh, and in your you're playing through a game where the designer of the game uh, has these you know far flung high flying ideas that he hasn't been able to actually implement, and the game is falling apart as a result of it. The gameplay is really interesting, but it's also super funny. It's really really good commentary, really funny. It's just I can't wait to finish it, and I can't wait to talk about it on the show. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty far into it, and uh, it's interesting. Nate's like, smug because he love knows it. what's happening. <laughs> yep. So no, no, no. I I still don't know for sure. Like it it only gets deeper the 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 longer you play it. Like all those things you were saying. It's like I'm sitting here going, "Are you sure?" <laughs> which is <laughs> which is kind of the uh, the you know that's what the game is trying to accomplish. Yeah. So it is, it is, if you're interested in playing along, it's available on steam for Mac and PC and actually it runs just fine on the Mac. They've done a really good job with that side mm-hmm. of it. It came out simultaneously for both not out on consoles yet. Um, but, uh, it's on steam. I think it's 15 bucks. Um, so, uh, thank you for joining us on this episode of the short game. Uh, if you want to follow our show, uh, you can of course subscribe to us on iTunes where we love five star reviews and, uh, you can leave us those there or you can go to www.theshortgame.net to uh, to check us out and see our list of upcoming games and suggest things through our web form. You can email us. You can subscribe to our show on Twitter. We are at underscore short game. Uh, I am Reagan. I'm at R-A-Y-G-A-N-K on Twitter. Uh, Laura, where can people find you? I am also on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Nate, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. And thanks again for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. <laughs>